Hello, and welcome to the show. I'm Liz Wilson. I'm Christoph Defoe. It's the holiday season, y'all. Whether you celebrate Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, or some combination of the three, there's a good chance that you're going to find yourself sitting at a table with some people or someone who you don't agree with. Today, Defoe and I are going to dig into this. We'll talk about family and holidays and give everyone some tips for how to deal when your racist Uncle Bob starts bitching about CRT. (laughs) But first, I want to remind you that if you like our show, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, check out our Patreon, and tell your friends to listen. New episodes post Mondays at noon Eastern on all the major podcast channels. Also, be sure to check out our sponsor, Cannibal & Co., located in downtown Jersey City, and shop cannibal.com. We're grateful to Cannibal for sponsoring our show. Hey, Defoe, happy holidays. How are you holding up? Uh, Good, I would say. It's been... Thanksgiving was smooth. It was actually just, uh, that was a long time ago now. Like it feels like a million <laughs> years ago, but yeah. um, it was smooth. It was just Lindsay and me. We do very, very low key uh, Thanksgiving. It, it, we are, we are uh, a, we, neither one of us have large families anyway. Um, and we don't have any kids. And we really do live in general a pretty solitary life. So it was really just the two of us. And we didn't even, uh, Lindsay or me didn't cook it. Uh, we just we ordered it, um, mm. but, but it was so it was very simple, very good. Um, but um, you know, I think what I'm dealing with generally, right? And, and I'm looking forward to Christmas. I think it's going to be great. Um, there's some interesting family issues that go on there, and that's mm-hmm. uh, gets really complicated. And right when you and I know that we all deal with this. I guess I'm not don't think I'm special, but when we get together with family during the holidays it it really can raise some old dynamics some old you know just old stuff that you're like oh right this Mm -hmm. is how this is right and Mm -hmm. you kind of forget the rest of the time um but but i think what i've been really dealing with and i don't want to spend too much time on this but is just i started a new job and it is and i've just been reminded of how, first of all, how hard it is to start a new job, right? Mm-hmm. Like you are learning a whole bunch of new things and you have to be there and you have to be on all the time. And I find myself, and I, and by the way, like it's a good job. I'm lucky, lucky to have it. If anyone from my job for some reason is listening to this, I'm mm-hmm. telling you, you all are lovely people. I love working with you already. This is going to, I'm very happy about this. It's a great opportunity, but it's still a new job. And it's like, and this, and we, you and I were talking about this before the show. It's like, and I am on the privileged end of getting a new job, right? I don't have to worry. It's going to be a decent salary, right? It's going to be, um, I'm not going to be monitored constantly. It's not, people tr- trust me in general. But I, you know, I've just been reminded of just how fucked up this system is that in order to survive, you are forced to behave in a certain way under someone else's complete direction, right? You are essentially enslaved to this person because, I mean, certainly you could go find another enslaver to work for, (laughs) but but you have to work someplace, right? Right. And it's like, what a system that in order to literally survive, and, and, and what kills me is that it's not that we don't have the resources, right? There's plenty of resources out there for everyone to have at least the basics of what they need, right? right? But we, but a bunch of people hoard them, 
mm-hmm. and then meet them out if you work for them. I'm both grateful that I had this opportunity because it really is a great opportunity and I'm lucky to be able to work the way that I'm allowed to work. But yeah. also, it's really been an opportunity for reflection on this entire system and how fucked up it is that you either do this or die. Those are your options. Right. right. Yeah, totally. And to, I'm sure it highlighted it because you've been in your previous job for so long that it probably, you know, it's like when you have like, I've this is sort of random, but we've been cleaning out our basement and you start when you start moving things around and you start actually seeing the things that are down there right cuz when something's in place for a really long time you almost don't even see it anymore right i get so with work it's the same thing it's like this is just my life and then it mm-hmm. changes and you're like oh wait yeah this is a system <laughs> <laughs> right right that's exactly it liz that's exactly it. it's like oh right like this is a system and this and, and and here's the thing. It's like my existence in this part of the system comes at the expense of other people. Like I think that's important uh, to remember, right? People yeah. are wealthy at the expense of people who are not. Like it is not it is not just not in a vacuum, right? It it is right. and and it's I've just been very much reminded of all of this stuff as I've been like, holy shit, I haven't had a new job in eight years and I have a new mm-hmm. job, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's yeah. my uh, unrelated to our topic, but <laughs> that's what's going on. What's going on with you? <laughs> um, you know, it's just having kids and I'm sure this is unprecedented, like the, the amount of sickness that is happening right now in the, <laughs> in the world of children and parents. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, as you know, I, I was just saying we have both kids and my husband are all homesick today. Somehow I'm the one who's not, which is very... <laughs> which is very not on brand for me. Um, but anyway, so that's on my mind. But I'm also, this is connected because this is my first um, holiday season on meds. And this is funny because I always feel like I want to talk about my medication stuff but then I'm like, am I talking about it too much? No, but it's so relevant and it's so, I mean, it's it's this is, it's, it's been so revelatory to me because I just keep thinking like, is this, wait, is this how people live? This is like other people's experiences. It's, so to be more, to be more clear, the holidays well-medicated is a whole different experience. Um, I want to, you know, it's, so this medication, Lexapro, it's not like it makes me just happy all the time, but it has had the effect of basically just making me more chill. Like my baseline is just more stable. And so I noticed this because we had, you know, last weekend or whatever, we're putting up the Christmas tree and it was just a really lovely day. We were all there. It was just like Christmas music was playing, all this, all these cozy feelings. And, and I had this intrusive thought and it made me suddenly aware of the fact that I had not, to that point, been having them. And typically, I would have been having them nonstop. That intrusive thought was as follows. We didn't have candy canes. My son said, we should get some candy canes. I said, yes, we should. And immediately pictured myself going to Target to get candy canes and getting in a car accident and dying. And thought, no, I can't get candy canes because I might ruin Christmas forever for my children by dying today. So this is like normally would be a typical thought for me. This is just kind of like what would always be running in the back of my mind. And especially 
in like a happy time or a time when I'm feeling good, there would always be that immediate reaction was like, okay, well, how can this get fucked up? How can I make sure this never changes? So it's just this whole spiraling, completely unhealthy, anxiety-ridden like loop that would be triggered in my deep in my psyche. And so I don't have that. I don't have that. And when I do have those types of thoughts now, which is much less frequent, I just have this, like we talk about the distance between, you know, so that you you are not that thought, you are not that feeling. And I just feel like I have that space now. So I see the thought and I notice it happening, but I don't have the immediate visceral emotional reaction to it, which then spirals into, oh, well, that must be a real thing that I should actually be worried about. I can look at it and be like, oh, that's that's my anxiety and that's okay. I can choose not to engage with that and I can just move on. So it's like I can actually just enjoy existing and it's a really nice thing. <laughs> it's made like, you know, holidays are hard for me because I love them and I get excited, but also I have a really big family. We have literally five Christmases that we do. And it's a lot of people for me. And no matter how much I love my people, being around a lot of people for a lot of the time is just very taxing on my nervous system and I it wrecks me. And I'm sure having this crazy, you know, monkey brain spiral in the back of my head was not helping. So I'm kind of looking forward to seeing how I can manage that better now because so far it's it seems like it's helping a lot. So that is That's that is mind. that is I think really great news um and um and well said also um what comes to mind as as you were talking was uh, and connecting back to the systems we're talking about and I think it's always important to talk about and talk in terms of systems right um mm-hmm. is that you're talking about that anxiety right that the, the yeah. fear of, of 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 leaving your children with with a bad experience or and and and, and I wonder I wonder how you think about this um you know I think that because I think about this with my with my partner my wife all the time it's like you know she gets really worried about things and, and anxiety and I do too by the way but different things but you know but mm-hmm. we, we we all have a lot of things we're worrying about and I um but with women in particular I find that and uh, that there are that it's a disproportionate amount of this kind of anxiety, I believe, and I wonder to the extent that that is connected to patriarchy, right? Because in the back, if you are constantly juggling all the household things, right, all this sort of life stuff, but basically not just your particular job, right? Because men, you might say, "All right, I work out here, and I have anxieties at work and stress at work." Well, yeah, but that's only one area, right? Like women all frequently have to worry about that. But also themselves, also two children, also a husband, also a house, and all that working together, right? So I wonder, I'm just, as you're talking, I'm just thinking about like how those things are connected. And then I'm also thinking in terms of work and how I was just talking about work, how the anxieties that come from work and that a lot that Americans in general experience are connected to work, are connected to the fact that if I don't do X, I will starve. If I don't do X, my family won't have enough. And my point is, is that like these systems, we don't have to live this way, right? There's better ways to do this. And these, the way these systems are set up causes anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. And then what we do, our culture then says, don't worry, 
will sell you psychology, mm-hmm. will sell you medication, mm-hmm. and you can slap a Band-Aid on that, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that's not to, d- 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 to dispel the, the value of that. I mean, as you know, I'm on medication. I go to therapy. I think these things are incredibly valuable. I've learned a lot about myself, and it allows me to live a starting place for me to live right. safely in my own skin. But the larger question is, why are we having these anxieties in the first place? And my argument is that they are connected to these systems of capitalism, to these systems of patriarch, to these systems of white supremacy, right? Um, that's just how I thought about that. What do you think yeah. about that? No, I think I think that's right. And I think, I, I mean, just in my own personal experience, in a microcosm, I know that when I am feeling stressed out about something, everything else in my life is harder, right? And mm-hmm. Oh, yes. And so when you add to that, and that's talking about situations where I am aware of my stress, right? And I think a lot of these things, these systems that you're talking about, white supremacy, patriarchy, like these are things that are happening in the background that we're most of the time not even cognizant of. But they still impact our world and our experience and our stress levels and our anxiety. And I think 100% that that, it makes sense that that would then, I mean, you we have a freaking epidemic of anxiety. Like, who do you know who doesn't have anxiety, right? Um, and I think there's probably, I'm, there's a lot of factors, and I'm certainly not an, an expert on this at all. But when you look at what our generation has grown up with and sort of like, like we we still have like the the shitty parts of these systems in place but the quote unquote benefits of them are worn away so it's like <laughs> pull yourself up by your bootstraps but there's no social security nets um you know uh women go out and get a job and be empowered but also still do all the stuff that you would do in the 50s when your husband was the one earning the money and you had a community around you i'm not trying to say that that was a great system but i'm just saying it was different than it is now you know we're more isolated than we've ever been because of all this technology that we have which we think we're connected but we're not connected in a way that like physiologically actually has the same impact as face to face yada 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 so i think for sure i think um these systems, because so much of it is automatic and in the background, how do you even confront that in terms of the effect that it has on your nervous system and on your anxiety levels, right? But yeah, I think you're you're totally correct about that. And then we have the holidays and everybody just gets together and amplifies all their shit. <laughs> and amplifies it all and amplifies it all. And, and, and we're going to, and we're going to talk about that. Uh, I, you know, this, Anxiety thing. I think there is, there is a fundamental underlying anxiety about being a human being, right? I mean, there is just the anxiety of there's there's this tension of constantly wanting stability, right? We are driven to want stability, and but we live in a an environment and literally an existence that is inherently unstable. That is inherently that, and so there's a, a constant tension there. So like being a human being is anxious, anxiety producing, no matter what. Yeah. But how the systems that we the systems that we create around ourselves can exacerbate that or make it better. And uh there's a lot of arguments to say that the way we do things makes things better. I mean, certainly it makes things more predictable in a lot of ways, but again, and I don't we can we should definitely move on, but uh but there are so many ways in which these systems also cause more anxiety and like you said, whatever benefits we were at one time getting from these 
systems have eroded substantially, where now most of us are, are, are we have only the bad parts now, right, right. For, for, for most people. And yeah. again, I count myself among the lucky people. Like, I think we could probably both count ourselves among the lucky people, and we're still dealing with the anxiety, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah. so I could, you know, right? Uh, and, and these yeah. things, like you say, operate in the background, you know? But we actually have the resources to get the therapy, get the medication, but, right. you know, even that, you're not addressing the root cause. Yeah. Like, are you depressed or do you just work in a capitalist society? <laughs> right. Um. And it's hard to know. <laughs> and either way, we have to live in it. So exactly. you know, g- get right. the medication, get the therapy because, mm-hmm. right, because we have to, we don't have a choice. So, you know, right. but anyway, let's not, we don't want to need to go down that rabbit hole because we probably could, but. Um, <laughs> the people have places to go and things to do. Exactly. Um, let's talk about the holidays. Yeah, what are they like? What's what's your experience of the holidays? Do you have like some traditions? Do you like the holidays? Is it hard for you? Are they hard for you? It's a good question. Um, and it's complicated. So uh, what I do do is my my wife and I, we go up to my mother-in-law's house and we um, uh, do Christmas stuff like and we stay over there and she lives up in Connecticut. So it's like maybe a couple hours away. Um, it's not terrible. Um and uh, I really enjoy that. I, I, I really do. And I enjoy it precisely because I don't have that sort of thing with my immediate family, right? Um, it's not that I don't get along with my immediate family, I guess, although there are some complications there, but certainly not with my siblings. I get along with my siblings usually pretty well. Um, but um, but we don't have, you know, the. It, I guess to answer your question, the holidays can be challenging i think precisely because it's a really i think a strong reminder for me of like how broken up and dysfunctional are my my family can my family really is and so i think a lot of it is is sort of i've gotten better at dealing with that like it's not over the years, it's become something that is not such a big deal to me, but it was for a long time, right? And I've spent, I mean, I spent Christmases in a lot of weird places too. I mean, I spent I've spent Christmases in 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 halfway houses, right? You know, so it's 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 been. I think it is a complicated part of time for me because my family relationships are historically very complicated. And getting back to the anxiety question, it's like you know. Uh, instability was what characterized my growing up, right? Just a lot of instability, and there is a deep anxiety that comes that that like comes from from a lack of stability, right? As I was saying before, right, this inherent tension in life of the of of tr- wanting stability so badly and predictability, but not being able to get that because life is inherently predictable, uh, unpredictable, but um. So it can be challenging, but still, I think in this day where I am in my life today, like I enjoy it. I mean, I I love we do the we, we do the Christmas lights in the house, right? We at at our house we we put the Christmas tree up, and Lindsay and I go and get the tree, and uh, and you know we we I always say that we should take pictures with the cats and do like a do like a Christmas <laughs> photo, but it never happens. I, um, like you a, and send it to people. Yeah. <laughs> I think we should. Lindsay's not on board, but I, I put think a little we should. scarves to... on the cats. Like yeah, you can all have matching adorable. scarves. That would be yeah, into it. adorable. Yeah. How about you? <laughs> um, I mean, I grew up in a lot of ways very opposite, almost the opposite of you. That like you know, 
big family, but very uh, all about togetherness. And not without our stuff, but being, you know, we were always, there was, everyone was always present for the things. And my parents made it really, they made Christmas really special for us. We didn't always have a lot of money when we were growing up, but it always felt super magical. And um, uh, yeah, so I generally like it. Um, but there's that thing about when you get together with family that sometimes it can bring out, you know, you suddenly revert to being like 14 or whatever. And yeah. <laughs> and I actually am finding that less and less as I get older. And I think part of that is also because now I live in a town where my parents also live and three of my siblings live and I see them a lot. Um, enough so that I've had, I've been forced to confront a lot of that stuff in myself, mm -hmm. like what that does in me, because it's really, they're not doing anything. This is all me. <clears throat> so that's been valuable. But anyway, so typically holidays can be a little hard that way. But like I was saying before, it's mostly just a question of my nervous system getting overloaded by all the events. I love them. I love them. And I also don't <laughs> like when people cancel things i'm like okay that's okay. fine yeah <laughs> yeah because like i was saying before we have a lot of christmases we have a lot of um yeah we have like some families who my brother is no longer with his wife she takes the kids over the holidays so he does his own christmas a couple like the weekend before we do christmas with matt's family separately then we do like our canadian christmas after real christmas <laughs> It's we we don't go small, um, so yeah, it's mostly just tiring, um, but it's fun. And Matt, so Matt is Jewish too. He's he's technically Unitarian, but his mom was Jewish, so we also do Hanukkah with the kids, uh, which is kind of fun. Listening to my eight year old sing the song is really fun and special. It's like, you know, we, neither one of us are religious in any way. In fact we kind of lean towards hating religion. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Not hating religious people, just, you know. Right, right. It's very problematic. But there is something to be said for, and I'm somebody who, I, I don't stand on ceremony. I'm, I'm the first person to be like, let's not do that thing anymore. The reason that we're doing that is because we've done it every year. That's the only reason. Mm -hmm. So why are we doing it? But with Hanukkah, it's been interesting for me because there is something about the the ritual of it and the lighting of the candle and that you do it every night for a certain, you know, and just like seeing your kids' faces. And it doesn't take a lot of time, but it sort of reminds me that like, oh, this is why as humans, we are drawn to creating ceremony. Like, there's something about it that feeds us, right? Um, yeah, so that is that part of it is interesting for me too. That's but. a fascinating point. I'm so glad you brought that up because, um, you know, uh, you mentioned mag feeling magical when you were younger. And I do remember Christmas always feeling magical and also not having a lot of money. But my parents, to their credit, really – making it feel special. I remember when we were living in Montana, there was this one, like we couldn't find a good tree and we had this like really just pathetic, skinny tree and no money, right? My parents had no money then, but um, but 
really make it, it being a really a particular special particularly special christmas that stuck in my head and and, mm-hmm. and i smile um even now thinking about it um but i think your point about the traditions and the value or the there's something about it right we call we are we are radically human right and yeah there's something superhuman about that and the superhuman you know what i mean um <laughs> 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 um, there's something very human about that because, um, right. And I am like you, I actively reject tradition for its, like it, my natural reaction is to be like, fuck your tradition. Yeah. Why are we doing this? Like, what's the point? <laughs> right. But there is something valuable about it. And maybe it's not that the tradition per se, like in just as a concept, but like traditions that are based on oppression or that are based mm. on bad ideas or are based on right i mean there's a bunch of traditions that are the way like you say we do them just because we've always done it that way and i think that's a terrible reason to do anything but if you come up with your own tradition right your family with yourself with you know um and by the way whatever family looks like for you right i mean yeah. i for me family really means um one person and two cats right but yeah. uh, like that's and uh, th- that's what sort of family means to me in the most and also it means a handful of guys and that i grew up with and you know who are my chosen family um as and also my siblings right but um the point is that we have our traditions and those traditions do matter i think uh, i think that's a really good point that's a really good point totally i agree Traditions. You just have to make sure that you're, yeah, that you're not just. If you're doing it and you hate it, then there's a problem. You can revisit. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> don't do it if you fucking hate it. Right. Yeah. You don't have to. Uh, it's funny when you said the thing about traditions rooted in oppression. Uh, my mind went somewhere else because I immediately thought about Hanukkah and I thought like. The thing about Hanukkah that I think is special is that connection to people who were oppressed and showed their human spirit, right? And the strength of the human spirit. Um, Great point. And so uh, that's interesting too, because there is that connection to your ancestors that I think they're not my ancestors. Although maybe, who knows? Mm-hmm. Should do some twenty three AME. No, that's a good that's a really good point. The the so many of our traditions come out of oh wow, it's complicated. Because so much of many of our traditions come out of oppression, right? I mean, think of the entire black church. The in, everything that comes along with that. There's a ton and that's not my experience at all, by the way, but like the entire black church is rooted black culture, quote unquote, is in t- hip hop, it is all yep. grown of oppression. That the entire black experience is one of oppression in the United States, right? So, hip hop is om- is directly, for example, connected to uh, oppression, yeah. right? Out of the, yeah. the 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 ghettos of the seventies, the sixties, the seventies, and the eighties, and the nineties. That's where hip hop came from, right? So, anyway, interesting, interesting, interesting. Yeah, like talk about the ultimate. Like, uh, there's no seat at the table for you, so made a new fucking table. Like that's mm-hmm. you were people couldn't participate in the white the white world, so they just did their own world. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah, humans, man. Speaking of humans, mm-hmm. so you know, with the holidays, we've all lived or 
lived or at least know of this trope of like the big family gathering, you know, all these movies with the liberal daughter fighting with the conservative dad and the weird creepy uncle saying inappropriate shit. And But really in this country right now, we all, I think, we all recognize how divided we are. So I think especially as we prepare to reunite with these folks who we may not see very often, and sometimes in some cases even intentionally avoid for these reasons, why don't we talk about some like real concrete ways that we can um, that we can deal with these folks, deal with these conversations, and we can bring our you know our own personal activism, our little piece of the of the bigger picture to this like to the dinner table, literally to the table. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, this is this is super important, and um, the bottom line is getting together for the holidays is a time when you feel obligated to spend time with your family members, like regardless of whether you like them or not. Right. Um, and, um, and, and you might think they're awesome, but there's going to be maybe some of them, especially if you have a large family, you're eventually going to come around across somebody that you don't actually like that much, uh, or you disagree with a lot. Um, and you, but you have to spend time with them. Right. So I think the question, and I have recently, when my dad passed away, um, before he passed away, I had to go, and my dad and I have not got from from the moment that I had an independent thought, I disagreed with my dad, and we disagreed his my entire life on everything, right? Um, and toward the end, especially when I got more politically aware and more into that, right, his conservative views on everything, but uh, but especially the LGBTQ community became intolerable to me. Um, where they were, I tolerated them when I was younger because I didn't. I just didn't put LGBTQ in the same category as race. Um, and and that is what that is the way we grew up, right? Like it wasn't the same thing somehow, but it has, from my mind at least, become indistinguishable. There is no difference. So if you are a person who is a bigot against black people, if you are it is the same thing to me as if you were a bigot against LGBTQ people. It is the same thing. And my dad and I wouldn't talk to somebody who is who held those beliefs. So I, I stopped talking to my dad. But when he was got really sick, I went and I saw him and I spoke to him. And so the question became, how do I deal with this, right? Like, we weren't there to have those kinds of conversations, obviously. But these things did come up, came, come, did come up. And I, first of all, I think it's important for, to set boundaries, to say, look, this is the amount of time that I am prepared to spend with you. And that's okay. I don't have to say that to him explicitly. I mean, I make that that commitment to myself that yes. I don't have to spend, I, I am not obligated to spend every single second of this trip with you. That That is not my obligation. I'm here as a member of this family and I want to do what's comfortable for me and show up in a way that I feel that is comfortable. That's one. Two, if something comes up, then that that is racist that is bigoted in some way then i this is just me but like i believe that i need to be prepared to stand up for those things and that that doesn't mean that i have to like stand up at the table and flip the table when somebody says something maybe that means i talk to that person after the fact right maybe that means i have a conversation later but what i do think is important for me, and I'm a notably outspoken person, to be fair, but 
is to is to not let that just go to have the courage to 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 stand up for my convictions and i think a, an important part of that is realizing that like my family even though we have a blood or marriage connection they at the end of the day they are just people they're just people like anyone else and they don't get a pass they just don't get a pass right like because they happen to be my human like we have this culture and it's a human culture of like we of nepotism essentially right we give we give it's 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 based on genetics it's based on dna something called kin selection we give our family a pass on all kinds of different stuff and we should i'm not saying that's wrong but at a certain point they are people just like everybody else and if i would stand up to that person on at work or in a social situation then i should also do that carry those same values into my holiday situation rant over ah <laughs> uh, yay <laughs> I mean, we yeah, we talk about this a fair amount, the idea that, like, you, not being a safe space for that, for bigotry, you know? And I think that you're, that, that is great advice. And the thing about setting your boundaries for yourself is so important because I think we, um, you know, you have to acknowledge your own needs in the situation, right? And if you can only tolerate being with a person for a certain amount of time, that's, I may have said this to you at some point before, but Glennon Doyle has this great um, analogy for dealing with difficult people, who, especially people who drain your energy or are somehow toxic, that you think of them as a tiger, like a beautiful tiger. I mean, you're assuming that this is a person that you care about, right, on some level. So they're a beautiful tiger. You can admire them, but they are, you have to like visualize a cage around them. You can only get so close, right? Like it's sort of like a self-protection so you don't become enmeshed and embroiled in their stuff. And I think part of that is setting, you know, time boundaries on how much you'll expose yourself. I think that's great. Um, you bring up a lot of really excellent points. Um, I love how you were talking about doing – sometimes I do think there's a place for just someone says something awful and you can call it out, Right. But I think also there's a really there's a good place there's a there's a good argument to be made for taking someone aside and having a conversation later. First of all, I think it's going to be way more effective. But um, there's this so I was thinking about this topic today, and I was there's this great article I came across um, that we'll link in the show notes. Um, Jennifer Rosen Hines wrote this. Um, first of all, like you said, I'm. I believe you said, you have to get comfortable with the idea. Like it's going to be uncomfortable and you kind of like being someone who's anti-racist or feminist um, is if you really want to walk that walk, then you're going to have to be someone who can handle being a little uncomfortable sometimes, right? And especially like you're saying with family, it's so tempting to ignore it. There's whatever it is about, we want to give our family a pass. And I totally understand that I am the ultimate people pleaser and I hate the, when it feels like someone is uncomfortable in a room. All I want to do is make them feel comfortable to sometimes to the point where I'm not even like I'll let them get away with shit, right? So this is something that I'm working on. But one of the things that Rosen Hines said in this article that struck me was that you wouldn't find a cancer and then decide to ignore it, right? Like, quote unquote, yeah, doy. <laughs> um, <laughs> so being uncomfortable, like that's that's a necessary part of change. 
there's this great anti-racism educator named Desiree Attaway, and she says, quote, you make the environment better for everyone when you interrupt problematic behaviors. So when you're thinking about these conversations too, at least in my experience, it's not always going to be blatant. It's not going to be someone talking about how they just went to the last clan meeting, <clears throat> you know. <laughs> so I thought it would be fun to think of some like topics that we can look out for, right? So these are some of these are things people have actually sort of talking about in front of me. So anytime someone talks about CRT and how it's a problem, obviously big red flag, right? I've also had people, so I'm a crossing guard part-time in my town. So people love to corner me and talk. So I've had always old white people say things to me about <laughs> like black people are great, but you know, I just don't know about now they're teaching in the schools that like black people are superior or like they're teaching them to hate white people. Um, you know, so this is just like all coded, whether they're aware of it or not, you know, blatant ass racism. Um, I don't see color is a great one. Uh, anything about abortion needing to be banned to protect white babies. Okay, so that's called the Great Replacement Theory. Um, so whether this your your aunt is aware that that's what she's referencing or not, that's what it is. Um, <laughs> anything about American women needing to get over themselves because the women in Iran are the ones who are really oppressed and American women aren't actually oppressed. Um, that's a great one. So like the abortions conversation. Um, anyone who, oh, this is fun, who says, I'm fine with people being gay or whatever, but I just don't want you to mutilate children's bodies, you know, in reference to trans kids. Um, yeah. And in general, like uh, there's a big red flag anytime you hear someone talk about child sex trafficking or like, you know, secret societies or any kind of like government, like shadow government. Yeah. Grooming. Um, yeah, grooming. Oh, that's a really good, that's a good buzzword. Uh, grooming. And then, of course, if anyone suggests that Kanye has a point, yeah, that's a problem too. <laughs> <laughs> the good news is we don't have to fix the whole world, though. We can start at the dinner table with the people who we have the most influence over. And this is the, this is to me where this time of year is offering some real good opportunity because if you are wanting to make like real change that actually you're not just pissing people off online or like offending people at the bus stop like these people ostensibly care about you and vice versa and you have a connection with them because this is something that I was thinking about over and over again that like the most I think most important thing that you need if you want to actually change somebody's mind is a connection, like they have to feel connected to you. And I think part of that is recognizing each other's humanity, right? Like they see you as a full person, not just someone who's out to like get them and vice versa. Um, Desiree Attaway says, quote, we can hold folks accountable and hold them with great care. If the ultimate goal is to get someone to change their problematic behavior, then we need to be intentional and strategic and about how we encourage people to do that. We can do this with compassion and care. We can invite folks into conversation from a place of deep inquiry and love 
And we can have strong, firm boundaries about what language is acceptable in your home and around your kids. Um, I just thought that was beautiful because I think there's this tendency to think that if you are, if you approach things with um, humanity and concern and caring and love, that you are somehow, therefore, mm, being weak, right? Like you... You can have a boundary about what is acceptable while still remembering people's humanity. So so well said. Yeah. So if you can can tolerate it, she actually laid out this like kind of system that I thought was really helpful to first identify your allies in the group. So this can help because whether you speak to them about it or not, just to know that you're not the only one who feels this way right? You may be the only one speaking up, but just knowing that you're not the only one who feels this way can be helpful. Sometimes you might be the only one, but look for allies. Um, And then she has two methods for doing this. She says call in or call out. So the call out method is sort of like what we typically would imagine, I think, where you someone makes a racist joke and you're like, that's not funny, that's racist. Call them out on the spot, like in front of people. Um. And you don't, like you said, you don't have to flip the table over, (laughs) but it's kind of like, I picture it as just like, you're putting up a wall. You're being like, nope, that's actually not cool. And you don't have to be like, let me explain to you the history of race in America. You can just be like, no, that's not, I don't like that joke. Um, A really fun thing to do that I like to do in terms of like when it comes to like um, sexist shit, which can be applied to anything, is just to ask them to repeat it. Like sincerely, like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't, what did you say? Did I hear you right? Because if somebody has to repeat it, then they'll look like a real asshole, <laughs> right? You're then everybody has them. to then think about it like very clearly about what's being said, but that's a brilliant right. idea. Right. Yeah. So I like that method. Um, And then the call in method is more like what you were talking about where you, it's more usually one-on-one. You'll like, just like have a conversation with somebody. Just assume the best of them. You assume they're willing to change. Um, And one of, and then you can use this method. Everyone loves acronyms. RYE, R-Y-E, respect. But it's true though, because if you start with like a compliment, or like a statement of how you respect them, it, you, you know, you've got to butter them up a little bit, right? And then they're willing to have a conversation with you. Um, and then another thing is to focus on yourself. So rather than saying, you did X, Y, Z, you think X, Y, Z, and that's fucked up, you can be like, oh, this is interesting because I used to think blah, 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 blah. And then I learned X, Y, Z. And I felt a little bit like this, boop, boop, boop. So you make it about your experience and relate it to them and then just have a conversation, right? So it doesn't have to be this like fight at the table. Um, There are ways to do it. They're actually going to maybe be effective and rant. (laughs) (laughs) Mine was longer (laughs) than yours. (laughs) No, but I think that's, that's I think that's super important. And I think the, question that or the dichotomy or the issue that comes up immediately there is are you interested in just being right and sounding off or are you interested in changing someone's mind and exactly so often 
when we are those of us who care about these issues, right? We get riled up, we get upset, and we want to just express that. And and that's okay. That's okay. It's okay to express that outrage. But if you are dealing with somebody, especially if you're dealing with somebody with whom you need to maintain a relationship because they're your family member, then that approach is not going to work. The approach that you've just outlined there is far more effective. And that requires us as activists, or those of us who think of ourselves as activists, as um, to have restraint, right? To have restraint, to not flip the table. Because that's my first instinct is, what the fuck did you just say? I'm I, I'm about to I'm about to throw I want to throw hands right, but it's like no 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 I can do that on Instagram I can I can flip <laughs> out on Instagram right flip the that's tables on Instagram for. yeah flip the table on Instagram right that's Instagram stories for you can do it and then it goes away right um, but if I really want to connect with somebody. First of all, you have a built-in connection if you have a family member, right? You already have mm-hmm. a built-in connection. Exactly. That's a huge thing, right? That, that's, yeah. You mentioned that. That's super important. And then you can build on that. And so I won't go through it through what you just said again, but I think that is super, super important. And I think that is an excellent skill and talent that we all should develop for those of us who actually care about changing people's minds. And, and the last thing I'll say um, is... We talk all about, on the show, we talk all the time about of being effective in your sphere of influence. Where can you, as an individual, really actually change minds? Because my Instagram feed, it's just my Instagram feed. Some people are there to, to listen, some people are not. Um, but my friends and my family, that's where I have direct, direct... Yes. Uh, uh, I have credibility with them. I have credibility with them that they're going to listen to what I have to say. And that is where we can be day-to-day activists. 100% I'm on board. So glad that you brought that up. Love it. Yeah. And I think you're, I love your your point about the, the difference between just uh, venting your feelings and actually doing something that's productive in terms of creating change. Um, we have talked about this before, but and I think it's one of our um, – something that is required of us as – activists or want to be activists is is we have to hone this skill of recognizing that the outrage is important and valid and it is our fuel but that is not the thing that in our day-to-day life is going to actually create the change and we have to be able to be mature enough to process our feelings and then to do the work right and that's why this is such such being a person who cares about that stuff is such an inside job, right? Because you have to be able to, to, to. It's about restraint. It's about being able to be to because that's how you're persuasive. You're not persuasive by hitting people in the face. Like that right. is not persuasive. People right? People are gonna stop be- listening to you because they don't want to be people- hit in the face. That's exactly right. And all they will do is dig their heels in. That's what happens, right? That is a natural human thing to do. And so, like you say, learning these techniques, which is all about, in my experience being able to manage your feelings because every time someone says something racist like my feelings go whoa right and you we, and you know to bring this show full circle we talked about right uh we talked about being able to to be aware you talk about being aware of your feelings being able to, to see them as just not being identified with them to see them flood, go by that is such a critical skill if you're if your real goal is to persuade 
to convince, to be a example for the people in your life about how to be, live anti-racism, live anti-patriarchy, right? Live uh, these, these values that we espouse every day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you have any uh, final comments as we wrap up our show today? I don't. I think I just made them without being asked. <laughs> Perfect. Yay. Well, I hope everyone has a great holiday. I hope you have a great holiday. And um, we will be back in the new year with some fun new shows for everyone. Remember, if you like our show, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, check out our Patreon, and tell your friends to listen. New episodes post Mondays on all the major podcast channels. Please connect with us on social media because we love you and we want to talk to you. Until next time, please care for each other, share your experience, strength, and hope with each other and with the people you love.